Hello and welcome back to Kvikminderpod, an Icelandic cinema podcast. I'm Rob Watts and on this podcast I discuss 21st century Icelandic film with my good friend Ellie Cawthorne. Continuing our Ingvar Sigurdsson season, this week we find ourselves once again in the West Fjords, Svartana to be precise, on a remote farm where metal music provides comfort in a time of grief. Rauner Braggerson's Metalhead from 2013 is a beautiful drama that has it all. Judas Priest, an actual priest, and cows wearing bras. Hello again, Ellie. Hello, Rob. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Ready to rock! Wow. You put your corpse paint on, I can see. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I came prepared. Um, no, I'm good. Excellent. So here we are, fifth film of the series, uh, and we are doing Rauner Braggason's Metalhead, or Malmhuis, from 2013. And I enjoyed it. I'll start with that, and we'll see what happens. <laughs> If you enjoyed it, that's a good start. Yeah, It's always good to start a review of a film saying that you enjoyed it. I kind of um, revealed my hand a bit there, haven't I? Yeah, I think people can switch off now. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else they need to know. No. Ellie Cawthorn enjoyed it. <laughs> Put that on it. the poster. <laughs> the poster from a decade ago. <laughs> yeah, so this is not the Black Mirror episode directed by David Slade, starring Maxine Peake being chased by robotic dogs i was thinking i was thinking why does metalhead seem so familiar to me and i was thinking am i thinking of full metal jacket or am i thinking of jarhead mm-hmm. but clearly i'm thinking of this well maybe maxine peaks from your neck of the woods right yeah she nearish near enough <laughs> the <I'll>, north <laughs> yeah i was gonna say if my neck of the woods is all of half a country then yes <laughs> yes she is but we are not talking about that although i rather like that episode i thought that's one of the best and most terrifying Black Mirror episodes, I think. This is less terrifying, but similarly bleak. Shall I give us a quick synopsis? Go for it. Okay. On a very rural cow farm, Hera witnesses the death of her brother in a tractor accident and blames herself. In her grief, she finds solace in the music he loved, dreams of becoming a rock star, and channels that grief into her own passion for metal. Along the way, Hera makes some bad decisions rebels against everyone in the community, and even tries it on with a priest. <laughs> All to a soundtrack of heavy metal music. Sorry, you just got me there with that little <laughs> aside. We're not going to mention burning a church down, but we will mention trying it on with the priest. I figured, you know, that's that's going to draw people in. Priorities. Uh, yeah, so you mentioned the church burning, and we'll get into that. But this is a film set, sort of, it begins in the 80s, 
Uh, but the majority of the film takes place in the early 90s uh, when that church burning stuff happens. So we see 12-year-old Hera and she is on a farm uh, and we meet her dad, her mum, her friends, Knuter and Anna. And we see her brother Baldur driving a tractor. Hmm. This has to be the first film we've covered where within three minutes, mm. I've sort of had the fright of my life. Yeah, I this I I found genuinely quite shocking and disturbing as an opener. Maybe it's a bit of a stretch of a comparison, but no spoilers um, about to be given here, but... You know, in Hereditary, where halfway through the movie, there's oh, there's yeah. a scene that just changes the the ball game entirely. Mm-hmm. It kind of gave me a bit of that vibe in that that it was quite innocuous, and suddenly something really really shocking happened, quite out the blue, and you know changed the tone. So we have this kind of really rose tinted farmhouse life, don't we? And mm-hmm. literally rose tinted. It looks well. It doesn't look like Iceland. It's so sort of warm mm. and sort of hazy and like you say like almost yeah rose tinted as if this was the dream they were living their best lives and i guess when we look back on our childhood often that's the view that we we give it i guess and i think with the with the moment as you say the tractor accident moment is so sudden and so brief mm. that you kind of if you blinked you'd miss it and you kind of go so what just happened is that did i just see what i thought i saw and sadly Yes, you did. Yeah, it happens so quickly into the film. You you don't even get a chance to spend time in this situation. It covers everything we need to know in about two minutes. And then suddenly, boom, Balder falls off his tractor and into the drive shaft where he gets scalped. Oh, I think it's a clever move, though, for an opening sequence, because really the whole film is about grief and how its repercussions are felt for years to come. Mm. And... What it really does in that opening sequence is reiterate the horror of this moment. Obviously, this isn't a horror film, but it's a it's a horror moment, isn't it? For sure. It's it's one of the most shocking things I've seen in a long time. And I've watched a lot of horror films. <laughs> uh, it's just so comes so out of the blue. And that's the that's the driving force for the rest of the film, I suppose. There's something about industrial accidents, isn't there? That's like particularly gnarly and horrifying Mm. and they don't shy away in this film from showing sort of the grossness of it you know you Mm. see his long locks just like flailing around in the machine it's pretty great with no head attached to them no oh and his fingers just sort of Mm. oh yeah it's nasty and you can just imagine as a young person witnessing that witnessing your brother go through that i mean Mm. i don't know how you would get over that Burn a few churches down, try to get with a priest, and then yeah, this might is your way how. through it, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that Hera's brother is called Baldur, because in Norse mythology. The god Baldur was terrified of his own death after dreaming about his death. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, it's probably just a little nod, mm. but but fascinating stuff, I and, think. And perhaps if we're talking about names, interesting that Hera is so named. Greek goddess 
it, it, it's like a warrior. I think she's a warrior goddess. Okay. Don't come at me, ancient Greek people, <laughs> and tell me I'm wrong. You are a historian. But, <laughs> yeah. But I think, so So that's kind of got a resonance of its own. Maybe it's got a different meaning in this Icelandic context. But she is a, she is a warrior, isn't she? She's a fighting figure. Absolutely. Even if that is sort of fighting against everyone, even when they're not necessarily against her. Mm. Ooh, that made me feel a bit queasy, that opening sequence. But the rest of the film, not so much. No, definitely not. But that queasiness must have stayed with Hera her entire life. So we cut from 1983, which is the year on the gravestone of Baldur, to early 90s. There's no real marker for the year. Yeah, it doesn't really go heavily on the period piece aspect, does it? You know, we're not kind of shoehorned into 90s references but i think that's good it's it feels quite timeless like when you said oh it's early 90s i thought oh yeah i guess it was like it wasn't Mm. really shoved down your throats no and also i think i imagine in rural iceland in the early 90s pop culture probably other than this metal music that balder and hera love so much hasn't made its way there we only see a microwave for the first time later on in this episode. That's what I was going to say. That was the one moment where I was like, maybe I haven't really paid attention to the time that this is set in when he was like, this is a microwave. <laughs> 20 years like, after microwaves were invented. See, mansplaining a microwave, but no, <laughs> that's fine. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so I imagine keeping uh, the style and art direction suitably 90s rural Iceland was relatively easy because it's probably still the same now. Yeah, it doesn't look hugely different to the rural Iceland of 2022 that we've seen in other films. No, exactly, exactly. So in the early 90s is where we catch up with Hera. She is sitting on a bench, having not left town for you know probably the hundredth time, mm. because she just can't leave. She wants to go to Reykjavik, but she can't leave because why? Because her grief is keeping her... What do, you, what do you think? Do you think that's it? Or that I, she she is too nihilistic to leave as in she's just not, she's just given up hope? I don't know. I feel like she might be atoning, trying to atone for her sins and keeping herself in this tiny little corner of the world because she'll never, I don't know, because she doesn't deserve to mm, enjoy life. Punishing herself. Yeah. And it does feel like that from some of her actions that we see as we move forward. But also perhaps that she feels like she owes it to her family to be around because they've lost one kid. She might not want to leave and leave them with no one. Even though mum often says it would be better if she did leave. (laughs) I don't believe that. It's at this point that we realise she spent a decade Mm -hmm. basically just immersing herself in her brother's love of Mm. music and metal music specifically. We see her burn all her stuff as a kid, put on his leather jacket, and when we see her again on this bus stop, she's wearing that leather jacket and she's got a guitar. It's a great jacket, I have to say. Yeah, you're impressed. Yeah, I would. I no, I just don't look good in leather jackets. I've been in the market for a good one for quite a long time now. Yeah. they're quite hard to get right. I think 
Mm. You know, don't want to look like a oversized biker. Don't want to look too prissy. You gotta, you gotta judge it carefully. Mm-hmm. Well, she was very lucky then in that respect that her brother's jacket fit her perfectly. <laughs> yeah, especially when she was twelve or whatever. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So she is listening to all sorts of music, sort of Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, bands that I've never heard of, like Tease um who else is there you're looking at me like i'll be able to offer anything i'm no. sat here in pink dungarees i don't think i'm <laughs> gonna be able to offer much in the way of uh, metal expertise oh you but you have heard of iron maiden and judas priest right yes i've heard well, of iron maiden and judas priest yourself. uh but also megadeth sabotage lizzie borden who isn't a woman Ooh, it's an american named after the 19th band. century murderer i presume Perhaps. Didn't look into that. Probably. It's all about names, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So all sorts of sort of heavy metal and what they term British new wave of heavy metal. See, I find quite a lot of that um, music. Oh, God, people are going to get me for saying this. Quite camp. You know, the long hair, the kiss makeup. Mm-hmm. I know you called it corpse makeup, but to me, it will always be kiss makeup. Well, so this is the no, very important distinction. Really? I mean, there's all sorts of... If you want to go deep, I'm and obviously I'm not an expert on metal music at all, mm. but uh, there are obviously very different periods of metal music, mm. and with that came different styles. So there is the hair metal of the 80s, mm. there is Kiss and their makeup, and Alice Cooper and his makeup, uh, which is all kind of theatrical, just yeah. character makeup, whereas Corpse Paint, which Hera puts on after mm. she sees the church burning videos. Mm-hmm is very much, is called corpse paint because the black metal bands of Norway in the early 90s uh, wanted to look dead, like actually dead. So oh, okay. they their makeup was actually supposed to look like corpses rather than kisses like star eyes and bunny whiskers. <laughs> yeah. That kind of more theatrical, joyful stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm presuming that this is a fairly big scene in Scandinavia. I'm speaking purely from Lordy in Eurovision and Yikes. the general um, long hair metally vibe. Well, okay. I mean, I don't know whether Lordy counts as, <laughs> as this kind of stuff, perhaps. Is this like, is Lordy like the, the children's entertainer of metal music, probably? Pot- potentially. And certainly, I know that responses to this film from those who love black metal would mm. say that all the metal she's listening to in this film is not, well, it's not black metal, it's heavy metal. It's, sorry, I got it wrong before. It's new wave of British heavy metal. Slightly different order of words. <laughs> I wouldn't want to get that wrong. The metal heads will be after you. Yeah, so Lordy, probably the sort of, the the, the more, I don't know, cartoony end, perhaps. Mm. I uh, obviously don't know. But what Hera witnesses on the TV is very much a Scandinavian movement the black metal movement uh, that began with sort of mayhem, the band documented in the film Lords of Chaos. I don't know if you've seen that. No, I have not. I'll talk not. about that in a second. But they sort of invented this genre and it was huge in Norway and grew throughout Scandinavia. So when we're talking about black metal, what are we talking about? The song that Hera writes and performs <laughs> where you can't of... really hear what they're saying. Okay. Uh, that's... My favourite type of metal not <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think the the church burning video on the news the presenter describes it as often unintelligible and 
usually negative connotations and okay there's a very distinct category from iron maiden yeah say but metal music is massive in iceland i mm. assume all kinds there's hundreds of bands hundreds of metal bands i don't know why it seems like such a natural fit but it does is it the cold is it the long hair <laughs> it could be purely i think you know metal doesn't strike me as a warm summery thing no no you're probably right the aesthetic fits if nothing mm. else and the the long hair will keep you warm yeah <laughs> sure so But Hera loves this music and it's what gets her through. It was obviously, mm. she's obviously been listening to it for so long now. Like a decade is a long time. When you think mm. about the events of this film, everyone is still so supportive. I'm talking about the townsfolk that she has obviously spent a lot of time researching and listening and channeling her grief. And at this point, she's pretty good on the guitar. Mm. With her with her V shaped guitar yeah. playing um, Savotage on Baldur's Grave, uh, she's pretty good, but she's still trying to find her way, right? Mm. She's trying to find her voice, I guess. Yeah, and do you think that voice? Do you think this whole push to become a rock star? Do you think it would distract her from the grief or get her through the grief? Mm. What you mean, like going commercial? Going commercial, <laughs> just turning her hobby into a into a legitimate thing because she doesn't leave the town. I thought at this point she's so like deep in it that she can't really see that that would ever be a reality. So you know, it's her escape, it's her passion, and the way of kind of dealing with as you say, channeling her grief. But I, I feel like she's not thinking of it as a productive thing at this point, okay, or talent or whatever. She's just seeing it as an escape. Perhaps without a end game. Yeah, especially because once she's posted her demos, we see her record and label up and send out. She sort of forgets that she's done that. Mm. And it was like she had a moment of inspiration, did it, and then immediately sort of abandoned it and settled. But we should talk about why she gets inspired because there's this priest who comes along. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've not seen... Not Judas Priest. No, not Judas Priest. Janus arrives and we've seen a lot of churches and communities built around the church, especially in these rural communities. And this new priest comes in and he sees that Hera's having a difficult time and somehow he's also a metalhead. Well... We've talked about it's big in Iceland. I also love the trope. It's, it is a trope, I think it's fair to say, of the hip young priest. <laughs> you know, sexy priest and flea bag being oh, another yeah, example. I mean, there's many, many you could pick from, but he is kind of a 
I'm just like you kind of priest. Uh, just like her. Even yeah. down to the, his love of Iron Maiden and with his, his Eddie badass tattoo. badass tattoo. Yeah. What I want is, you know, a backstory biopic of how you go from heavy metal mosher to priest. Shout at the devil. Screaming for vengeance, classic. Skiller to get. No. Haskilly. Tell us to get a lead to Rumsutton. Say a tilted He is a sexy priest, although he is quite goofy at times as well. I yeah. don't know, his face when Hera is dancing around, thrashing around at the community dance, and he's just like watching on just with this big goofy grin on his face. It's so funny. He's a very warm presence, isn't he? Yeah, and he is the guiding force within this film. So Methel might be channeling Hera's grief, but it's certainly the priest who... Directs it. Yeah, and gets her on the right track. And even her parents as well. Mm. He's he's a good influence. And he's just doing his priestly duty. Mm. But maybe misinterpreted by Hera. Yeah. I mean, generally don't try and sleep with a priest would be my advice. It never seems to uh, end that well. No, although in Fleabag, he couldn't sleep with her because he wasn't supposed to. Mm. Whereas here, I think, I think Harris says that he's not Catholic, so it would be okay. Yeah, it would be okay. I just feel like <laughs> would Ethically. it? <laughs> it would probably technically be okay, but you know, I'm gonna put a grey lines. Yeah, branding on that. Okay. Sleeping with a priest. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but interesting. I guess she's just. Um, I mean, she's doing all kinds of reckless stupid things isn't she and it's well, just that's... another part of that bigger picture so she's getting i mean don't drunk drive a tractor especially when your brother has died in a hideous tractor accident well yes maybe that's the self-punishment we talked about she's, yeah because she uh, she's drunk and she does it with no hands as well <laughs> like does she want to die um i feel like it's that thing of if i die I die and I deserve it, mm. but I'm, but not like an active attempt to kill herself. You wouldn't call driving a tractor with no hands <laughs> an attempt. Perhaps not. Perhaps she knows what she's doing, but yeah, it's certainly reckless. Mm. Uh, but she does a whole bunch of other reckless, rebellious things, such as getting a job and then instantly getting fired from it. For A, she's like playing with the boss, like not wearing a hairnet or pushing to the front of the queue in the canteen. Mm. And then playing her metal music over the PA. No one, no one else seems to like metal music. It's weird. Yeah. 
even though as a child I would have thought perhaps metal music was just way out there but listening to it they've all got very kind of feminine kind of beautiful voices and the the music itself isn't particularly heavy no no not the kind of Judas Priest end of things no so sure they've probably not listened to that kind of music before but is it really that provocative yeah and in uh, I guess in early 90s rural Iceland maybe it would have been a bit more out there Mm, perhaps anyway they don't like it and she gets fired (laughs) Um, what else does she do she goes to the dance in the local community centre, which is very, you know, like a tea dance kind of vibe. And with a band who are playing the most sort of middle of the road, bland. Yeah. yeah. And she essentially initiates a one-man mosh pit, one-woman mosh pit, I should say, <laughs> um, which then evolves into a fight. Yeah. She also lets her dairy, her family's dairy cows out into mm. the freezing cold winter. They're clearly bulging, wearing their bras. Like, they need to be milked, but she's just setting them free. And she goes, go now, you're free or something. And it's obviously a sort of... She wants to be free. She's sort of, They're the cipher for her, I guess. She's letting them out. She really wants to be gone and free of the grief, free of the, the shackles that are tying her to town. But it's the, but the cows are the ones who are, who are going. And also, it's not good for them. They're not yeah. going to enjoy being free out there. Don't make us go out in the cold with our bras on. They, those cows live in a pretty shitty life. Even as dairy cows' lives go, they're living it pretty bad. Because they've got to A, listen to Hera's screaming constantly <laughs> as she plays and records her music. And then, like, yeah, she's sticking them out in the freezing winter cold. Mm. Like bit harsh on the cows yeah a bit harsh basically a load of just provocative movements to be like it's quite attention seeking isn't it like i think you're right i think a lot of it is just attention seeking and hitting out because Mm. she's frustrated rather than any real motive yeah and we don't see the these actions and ever even the church burning is not really that malicious is it it's more fueled by anger and momentary frustration and not being able to communicate emotions via other means such as words yeah exactly but that's what she does eventually through her song but let's talk about that church burning scene because those were a big and important moment in the black metal scene in the 90s and it all began with sort of this band mayhem and their guitarist euronymous and there's loads of drama around it and they were burning churches because they're anti-religious and a lot of that scene was kind of racist and anti-feminist and all sorts of stuff. So it was the bands burning the churches or the fans? The bands, yeah. Euronymous was, was key in starting it. I Maybe the fans did it later on, I can't remember, but certainly the bands started it. Uh, and it's documented in this film, Lords of Chaos, which came out about four years ago. Directed by Jonas Ackland and stars Rory Culkin, not the succession one, or Macaulay Culkin. And, I mean, it's this Metalhead is very much not the same kind of film, but it touches obviously touches on this scene. Uh, and Laws of Chaos is an amazing film, but it is incredibly brutal. It has, there's a lot of violence, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of self-violence, and it's all depicted graphically to the point that I was about, I was on the verge of fainting in the film. 
And you watch a lot of grisly, grisly horror films. I do, and it is, it's tough. It's a tough watch. The film itself is fascinating, but there are two specific drawn-out moments that are very, very hard to watch. I'll put that one on the back there. Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't recommend it. You might, everyone might have seen the posters. It's Rory Culkin in the corpse paint, um, much like Hera in the posters for this. And it's a really interesting point that this film uses that iconography of the corpse paint really probably just for, Mm. just for selling the film. Yeah. Because what she does isn't really inspired by those church burnings. She sees church burnings happen. So she ends up burning a church, but. The two aren't connected in terms of reasoning and theme and things like that. She really does just burn this church down because Mm. she got turned down. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like we spoke about the brutality of the opening sequence at the start, but that's Mm. really the only moment in this film which is shocking or really out there. Completely. Violent or offensive in any way. It's not like she's going round on some like, nihilistic world burning she she's not vitriolic is she she's doing these acts of sabotage or whatever Mm -hmm. but they feel quite childish and almost slightly innocent they don't feel like motivated like you say by racism or um attempts to really destroy religion it's more just like a I tried to come on to a priest. He rejected me. I felt sad and alone, so I burnt a church. Yeah. I mean, it's essentially sort of childish behaviour, isn't yeah. it? And, and we're, we are a decade on, so she's probably 22-ish by this yeah. point. Which is it's quite, it's quite old to be acting mm. like that. But then I guess if you've been isolated and just dwelling on all of this for so long, perhaps you wouldn't have grown up in the same way. It's not just Hera who can't deal with the grief. Her parents have fallen into their own sort of trap of not being able to communicate they don't yeah like they don't talk Hera's mum is very much spaced out all the time she struggles to get out of bed which is I guess a sort of physical manifestation of that grief there's also the scene isn't there at the um, community hall dance where they are trying to start to pull themselves out of it but Harris' mum says are we gonna dance and the dad's like no i don't dance mm-hmm. and there is this kind of tension where you can tell i think Harris just like reveling in the in the despair and the grief yeah whereas they are trying to pull themselves out of it uh i would i'm not sure i would say they were trying to pull themselves out of it. i'd say they're trying to ignore it mm. and not particularly successfully because Ignoring it isn't going to do anything. 
and it clearly hasn't. They've not moved past it. It's been 10 years. If they mm. were trying to, I think they might have done a little bit more. Um, but it is Hera and the priest and all the actions that come from that that lead to them figuring out that they need to talk. Mm. The priest is such an important person in this film. All he has to do is sit down with them once and say, <laughs> did you get any counselling? No. Have you talked about it? No. And they're like, oh, should we talk about it? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Maybe that might help. And one of the most emotional scenes actually is when they finally, when Carl, played by Ingvar Sigurdsson, he finally is just like, I can't do it anymore and breaks down in the in the shed where he makes his moonshine. Mm. And just is like, we need to move on. We've never talked about it properly, but I think you blame me for not mm. putting a cover on the drive shaft of the tractor. Very technical. But yeah. if that's what Droploig blames him for, then, or what at least what he thinks Droploig mm. blames him for, then yeah, then that needs to be discussed. And turns out she has never said that. She might have thought it, but they needed to talk about it. And very quickly it becomes clear that they can move on. The the film's overall overarching message, even though it goes to these dark places and it is all about grief, is quite hopeful, I guess, in a way that if you address grief and try and process it and speak about it, there is a way through hmm. um, and find comfort in certain things. And that's a sea change moment, isn't it? That they address this and then from there on we see their relationship changing and them singing together and starting to find the joy in life again which yeah. is nice it's very nice and again music being the thing that they turn to in their moments of sort of happiness and that scene on the couch is so lovely mm. and Hera witnesses it herself love the harmonies <laughs> love that uh, Carl has his own guitar and was probably the reason that Balder picked one mm. up in the first place so it's all cyclical and even the song they sing about being in the wrong place or I'm not supposed to be here. I think they're referring to the city in mm. that song, which is curious since it feels like Hera wants to be in the city and not where she is. So, you know, there is, there's two sides to the whole living and working in the countryside. And I'm sure many girls of her generation or many people of her generation just want to get out of there. And we've talked about it before, mm. that the farm life's not for everyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And we've also talked about grief in that setting already yes. on the series. It does feel like this film is touching on some really familiar themes and stories to us. Um, most notably, I guess, Lamb. Yeah. Um, that we have this bereaved 
family out in the middle of nowhere, how you process that, what you turn to to get you through. Mm-hmm. Metal music, half sheet baby, you know, <laughs> each their own. There's something for everyone. It's true, yeah. Ingvar and Maria have lost a child and they're able to replace it with a Christmas miracle, baby Arda. But yes, uh, the, the parallels are there. It's that's how, how families deal with grief, whether you plug the gap with something that perhaps you shouldn't, as in stealing someone else's baby, or just ignoring it and attempting to live your life without addressing it at all. And a white, white day, of course. Also. Of course, yeah. About grief in a snowy landscape. Mm-hmm. And Ingvar. And Ingvar. He's, he's, good, like, he's good at this kind of stuff. It's clearly a... There's clearly an interest or an appetite for those kind of stories in mm. Icelandic cinema. Yeah. It's it's interesting because a lot of fiction deals with crime and murder. And there's absolutely no way that many people die that way in Iceland. But yeah, also curious that perhaps these things hit home harder in a country that's much smaller. Mm. I don't know. Þessi er tíminn like nöldts hár. Það er helbert kjaftaði. Láttu ekki svona, Kalli. Stattu upp. Við erum aldrei tala um það sem gerðist. Hvað er veitlega sem vístu við gert það? Það er ekki á alvöru. Ég veit að þú... Ni mun köpa skikar hosta við læk og helvítis massinn alltaf bilaður ég. Maður hausinn og lútur alltaf. Ég get þetta ekki lengur. After she's burnt this church, Hera runs to the hills. And that's not an Iron Maiden pun. <laughs> um, although I wonder whether it's specifically in there for that reason. Because she could have gone anywhere. But that's, again, a, something we've seen before. You know, uh, 101 Reykjavik. Run away to the hills, to the snowy mountains, if, you, if you're not sure what to do. Yeah, and, and almost die of hypothermia. Mm. But she does. Hera goes up there, sort of because she feels like that she might be chased out by the town i don't know in reaction to the burning of the church oh she's just ashamed i guess and oh maybe yeah that would make more sense Uh, but she's hiding up there and returns to her best friend's house knuter with some geese so there's sort of some kind of reconciliation gift where the town are having a meeting about her but let's talk about knuter because he's a character (laughs) In this film. He is a character. <laughs> a character that annoyed me. Is he meant to be lovable? I found him, like, really insufferable. And I can't really put my 
finger on why? Or was he meant to be insufferable? I think ne- I think neither. I think he's not meant to be lovable. I, I don't think he's meant to be insufferable. I think he's just that kind of... He's, a, he's the depiction of the traditional... Small town man. Yeah. And you can see it in most of his actions. Like They had sex once and he got her an engagement ring. And I well, was like, get out of there. Exactly. This is it. Like, he's got no other options. Yeah, he proposes to Hera, in, who's in wearing corpse paint, which is quite a surreal and funny moment. He buys her a microwave. <laughs> he, he basically treats her as the traditional housewife mm. as soon as they get together, because for some reason, Hera decides that, oh, actually, I should live a, inverted commas, normal life. Any man who buys you a microwave as a present, no, no, no. <laughs> I guess she sees him as... Um, comfort and security, doesn't she? Yeah. She's kind of like flip-flopping between burn it all down, destroy everything, and, oh, maybe I should just be boring forever and comfy. Yeah, that's it. I mean, she's known him her entire life. They've been close friends for that whole time. But in those kind of situations, it's quite often that one one of the two in that friendship will think it's perhaps something more and mm. knuter is clearly in love with her and has always been and also has no other options as he says quite explicitly <laughs> um and yeah he's just that idea of the traditional guy and he wants to settle down i love that his um his post-sex chat is like so i'm just gonna i've been lucky enough to be asked to tame a mare and he goes <laughs> off on talks about you know this horse that he's going to be lucky enough to to raise and it's just like you don't have any chat you've got nothing except what you know about farming and this community i guess he's just the symbol isn't he of like stay in this small town and kind of give up and just submit to i guess there's another theme in the the film as well as how to get over grief is about conformity and whether you should just do what everybody is telling you to do or whether you should follow your own path and, mm. you know, do your own rock thing. Although her parents are not, if it was more tr- traditionally telling that narrative, her parents would be like, we can't listen to this terrible music, but they seem fairly supportive. Well, it's yeah, they've been listening to it for 10 years and mm. when they do have a go at her, it's because it's too loud rather than... It seems fair. It does seem fair. And her mum even says, well, if you want to go, go. They're not. Keep, they're not keeping her there, so it is all on Hera, really, mm. rather than conforming because everyone wants her to. She feels perhaps guilty that she should. I guess the final moment of change is when the most sweet and lovely rockers arrive, who have come all the way from Oslo because they've heard her tape and uh, really want to meet her and um, see what she's up to. And they're so cute. They're cute. I don't think they should be cute, to be honest. They, no, I think they should. I think that's the point. They're meant to be cute, lovely boys, aren't they? Because um, cute, lovely boys. Fuck <laughs> Meant to be cute, lovely little boys. But I think it's nice because that's the point that this... She's kind of got this, like, dichotomy, right? Where she's, like, either, like, metal and burn the churches and kill every... Destroy everything or conform and become a microwave-loving wifey. But these, there's another way, which is try and forge a musical career whilst also being kind and thanking your host for dinner, which yeah. is presented by these, the lovely rockers, you know, show that 
metal doesn't have to be scary and horrible. You can love to rock <laughs> and also just love to be kind. Yeah, and in terms of this story, that works perfectly. I wonder whether those people exist. I think so. I think there's exist- lots of lo- lovely metalheads out there. No, oh, that's not what... That's, Sweet, kind people. That's absolutely not what I was saying. Of course there are lots of lovely metalheads, but I wonder whether... Norwegian black metalheads of the <laughs> early 90s were quite like that, especially given that the names that they give are the names of Mayhem. Oh. Well, at least two of them are. I don't think they're meant to be the band, but certainly they don't act like no. the band. Um, but yes, you're right. I think being, and, and it's what the final performance of the film shows mm. is that, yeah, the metal music might sound abrasive but the words and the thought behind it is much more meaningful and Mm. not necessarily negative and it's clear that through those lyrics Hera's been sort of dealing with her grief isn't it This is a film, much like Hero's Journey, that's building to this concert. And you kind of want Hera to follow this path and become a metal star. And the first thing she does is get the band to play with her at the community centre while they're all <laughs> everyone in the town's having some sort of banquet. But they're not quite sure what it is that she's playing and they certainly don't enjoy it initially. Someone's like, we can't hear what you're saying. Another lady's saying, it's too loud. And someone else says, play something Icelandic, which reminded me of the Eurovision film. Did you see that? I haven't seen seen it it yet. Well, you should. It's not very true to Iceland, but it's very good. But there's a character in there who's constantly like, play Ya Ya Ding Dong, which is the sort of novelty song that the band (laughs) play. Curiously enough, that guy who says, play Ya Ya Ding Dong, is the actor who plays Knutur in this film. (laughs) Which is a weird connection. But there's lots of stuff in this film about the different kinds of music and Eurovision. In fact, Hera says, I think, what are you into? Are you into that Eurovision crap? And yeah, he probably is because Mm. when they're in the car, when they're breaking up in the car, Mm. the metal mixtape that he says he's always had in the car, turns out there's no metal on that tape. Yeah. And it's like the most sort of jolly. Anodyne. Yeah, country music. It's pretty funny. And then Hera stops the stops the performance, and sort of takes the distortion off the off the instruments and stops screaming and sings, and everyone then can understand what she's saying, and it all makes sense. It was a nice final scene because you know if this was like an American movie, yeah, 
they would have that concert and everybody would go, yeah, we loved it. <laughs> it was amazing. Um, and there'd be some like slow hand clap at the end. Yeah. But um, in this, people were like, oh yeah, okay. I kind of get it now. They weren't like, this is the most amazing thing ever. No, it wasn't that like was they've gone, oh, she's finally reached the end of this period of time and she's mm. going to break through that, that grief and she's going to pursue a career. It's sort of like, yeah, good, mm. fine. Get the fuck out of town. <laughs> <laughs> but now she can, you know, go off and have this. That's definitely the, the sense that you get, isn't it? That she was going to go off and forge a career in this industry, hopefully. Yeah, I hope so. And even potentially play at this Icelandic music festival, Eistnaflug, which is a big metal music festival, still going, just to prove that there is a huge metal scene in Iceland. I always find it crazy how much music is being produced in Iceland for such a small mm. country. And in fact, the guy who does the soundtrack to this film, Petter Ben, is a sort of rock musician himself, even though the soundtrack to this film that isn't the heavy metal music isn't really no. the same. Uh, it is a beautiful sort of score, uh, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> that. Very much not that. So the film ends and Hera has got to that point. She's got through her grief or she's learned how to deal with it and can pursue her life without feeling shackled to the farm. Her parents also there through the grief, playing music themselves. Mm. And it's just so lovely to see that you've got this juxtaposition of crazy sounding music and a heartfelt drama. And I think it all comes together quite nicely in the end, even if it's a little bit too easy. Yeah, it's a fairly simple um, story of redemption. Mm -hmm. I don't know if redemption's the right word, but story of processing grief and coming out the other side of it. But that's fine. Simple stories can be nicely told. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the people involved in this film, because... We've got some familiar faces. Familiar faces. Who do you recognise? Ingvar Sigurdsson. Of course. Haldora Gehar. Gehar Stottir. Thank yes. you. Uh... I think that's probably... I think that's it, but, you know, there's not that many people in this film. No, it's it's a fairly small cast. Um, Leo is, in fact, in this film. No, he's dad. Yes, but, like... I mean, next door glim neighbor. Glimpsingly. Yeah. Well, he's fixed his teeth, though. I don't know if you noticed that. His teeth, compared with Reykjavik Rotterdam, his teeth are like pristine He now. did look very different, actually. Yeah. Um, there's also one other person who's popped up, but I couldn't tell you who he played. The priest, Janus, mm. played by Svein Olafur Gunnarsson. He's popped up in Jar City Rams and Let Me Fall. <laughs> what? But, I, yeah, search me if I can remember exactly who he's played in those films. Did he play like... Um, Man in hazmat suit three <laughs> in hands. Probably. You're I liked probably him. Right. I want to see more of him. I think you can. He's he's pretty pretty popular actor. He'll be I'm sure he'll be popping up again. Uh and then as I said, Knutur, who appears in Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga, uh played by Hannes Oli Augustsson. And then of course, our main character, Hera, played by Thorbjörg Helga Thorgilstotir or as she's more commonly known, I think, Thora Bjorg Helga, which you might struggle less to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, who hasn't done a whole lot, but won the Edda Award for Best Actress this year in 2014. 
so the Edders, we've not really talked about the Edders. I think I might have mm. mentioned how Rams won an Edda Award once. But the Edders are the Icelandic TV and Film Awards. And, you know, it's a small industry. Mm. So it's unsurprising that people that we've seen and films we've covered have won awards. But I thought we'd just have a quick run through what we know about the Edders. Uh, a small industry, but high quality. Yes, exactly. And obviously, it might be a small industry, but everyone deserves to be applauded and rewarded for their work. So I'll give you one guess as to who's won the most Edda Awards for Best Actor. Ingvar Sigurdsson. Correct. <laughs> I didn't I... even need to. I didn't even need one guess for that, obviously. I, I think he's won like seven Best Actor Awards. Because he is the best actor in Iceland. He is. I mean, it's it's quite clear he is. Uh but, you know, we've seen his award-winning performances in Of Horses and Men, Jar City. I bet he won one for A White White Day. And A White White Day, yes. Uh, Thomas Le Marquis also won Best Actor for Noe. Okay. Sigurdur Sigurjonsson won for Rams. And Steindorfur Steindorsson for Under the Tree, which I thought was an interesting choice. So Atli mm. was the best actor in that film, okay. apparently. I might have gone with... Uh, Sigurdur Sigur Jonsson in that as well. Unless, of course, he won uh, Best Supporting Actor. No, I quite liked um, the winning performance. It was suitably kind of pathetic and a bit tragic. <laughs> and so you don't usually get those as winning, you know, winning performances, but that's it was true. really believable. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. You don't get many sad man roles winning Best Actor, but no, they are not. hard to pull off. They are, yeah, fair. Haldora has won Best Actress for Woman at War. Of course. And I think a couple of other films that we've not covered. Edda Björgvinsdottir won for Under the Tree. And that was a performance and a half. Stuffing a dog. And... <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> okay, yeah, well deserved. Yeah. Before we get on to Edda Award winning films, last year, the Edda Award for Best Director went to the director of this film, Rauner Bragason. Ah, for a different film. Yes, not for a film he made 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I feel stupid. <laughs> okay. Uh, he won for a film called The Garden last year. Uh, and he's he's been working for a very long time. Metalhead was his fifth feature film. But I unknowingly had seen some of his previous work because he also did TV. These There were these famous sort of sitcoms that came out of Iceland that were really, really popular and actually shown on BBC4 in the UK called The Night Shift, Nighturvaktin. The Day Shift, Dagvaktin. And I don't think The Prison Shift ever got put on BBC4, Fangavaktin. But I remember watching The Night Shift and just not getting it <laughs> at all. I, it's, it's sort of a sitcom set in a petrol station and I just didn't understand at all. Didn't find anything funny and, you know, I just didn't get it. And it starred Jon Knarr who we've talked about was previously mayor of Reykjavik. But I just didn't get it. And I'd be really curious now, having sort of got more to grips with the Icelandic sense of humour, to see whether or not I'd find that funny. Well, any Night Shift fans out there, get in touch and tell Rob what he's missing. Yeah, please. And also how I can watch it again, because it's not on iPlayer. And Bragason also worked with Gnar on a film called Mr. Bjarnhreiðason, um, and also wrote episodes of TV, a TV show called Prisoners and just done loads of stuff. And I'm sure we'll see him again. 
But talking of Edda award-winning films, best films that we've covered. You know, we we love that we love most of the films we've covered. Okay, so I'll tell you how many how many we've covered. We've covered one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So we're on like our eighteenth film or something, and seven of them have won best film. Film, right? Okay, You, you get seven guesses. Okay, Rams. Correct. Under the tree. Yes. White White Day. No, controversially, oh. you know, Ingvar won. But the film that won that year is a film called Agnes Joy, which we've not, well, clearly not covered, mm. but I think is uh, it's one certainly top of the list for a, for a forthcoming season. It's got to be good then. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll let you keep guessing. Um, Two of seven. Cut this all this thinking out. Woman at War. Correct. Lamb. Has that, ha- has that happened yet? No, that'll probably be this year. Lamb was the... No. Alan was the Oscar entry for Iceland this year, although it didn't make the shortlist. It's surely going to win this. Yeah. How many have I got? Three. Four. Three. Three of oh, seven. Good Lord. Of Horses and Men. Yes. Which would probably not be in my top. Um, I can't think of all the ones we've done. Shall I just put you out of your misery? Please put me out of my the misery. Final, the final three, otherwise we're going to be here forever yeah. and no one's going to listen. Noe? Albinoe. Mm, okay. I love that film. Controversial. Jar City. Yeah, okay. Very 2000s-y. And... Oh, shit. There's only six. <laughs> <laughs> you can just include that. <laughs> it was a trick all along. Yeah, you still didn't get two, though. Um, but we are about to cover one more. Yeah. What's it called? It's called Heartstone, and it's going to be the final film we cover this series. Heartstone. That does make me think of that um, film Dragonheart with Sean Connery as the dragon in it. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Nothing like that. Okay, what's it about? What's it about? Well, you'll have to watch it and find out, and you can come back and talk about it next week. There we are, Metalhead, just one of the many Edda award-winning films we've covered on this podcast, and it's easy to see why it won so many awards, including editing for the fantastic work of Valdis Oskarsdottir, who previously edited Thomas Vinterberg's Festen, as well as Michel Gondry's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Gondry of Björk video fame, of course. 
And you know who else shot a Björk video? August Jakobsen, metalhead cinematographer. It's like a snake eating its own tail around here. Sadly, Jakobsen didn't win for his fantastic cinematography, but I want to give it a shout out anyway, because the colours of this film totally make it. It starts out looking lovely and warm, but then the icy blues and greys take over as Hera gets subsumed with grief. It's amazing how Iceland can look so beautiful either way. To close out this third journey round the films of Iceland, we're going to be discussing Guðmundur Arna Guðmundsson's Heartstone, or Hjartastein, from 2016. As I said, another Edda Award winner, and another incredible looking film. This is available to rent or buy on Apple, and I suggest you check it out before then. And also, if you don't already, follow, chat with us, and support us on Twitter, Instagram and Ko-fi, at Kvikminderpod. That's K-V-I-K-M-Y-N-D-A-P-O-D. If you could leave us a nice review at Apple and give us a rating on Spotify, that would be awesome. Until next time, tak bless. Thanks and goodbye. <laughs>